Today I want to talk to you about how God speaks to us through open and closed doors. We have been in a series since the beginning of the year on when the church prays. The early part of this series was, was about how do we approach God, the attitude by which we come and the way that we speak to God. But we also recognize that in communication there's two parts to that. The other part is how do we listen when God speaks. In fact, I think that this is probably the more important part because God already knows everything that I'm going to tell him before I ever open my mouth. So it is important for us as individuals and those of us who are followers of Christ what it sounds like when God speaks to us. How do we listen and what are the languages that God may speak as we draw our inspiration and direction and understanding from him? And again today I want to recognize the work of Mark Batterson on helping as it relates to the study of the languages that God uses to speak to his people. There's a passage of Scripture that I want to use as a theme verse today, and then I will get to it near the end, and it's found in Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. The Scripture says, to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. So, Father, I now ask that over these next few minutes that you would attune our hearing, that we may hear what the Spirit has to say to us as an individual and what he wants to say to us as a church corporately. Lord, we need to hear you so that we can obey you. Enable us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. More than 30 years ago, a Harvard professor by the name of Dr. Howard Gardner wrote a book called Frames of Mind. Some of you may be familiar with that because he popularized the theory that we have multiple intelligences as it relates to the human population. Simply put, different people are smart in different ways. Different people learn in different ways and different people have talents in different ways. His original eight categories were types of intelligence which were word smart, number smart, picture smart, body smart, music smart, people smart, self smart, and nature smart. Now let me give you some examples of some of the things that he was talking about. When Wolfgang Mozart was a boy, he visited the Sistine Chapel in Rome where he was enchanted by a piece of music that was playing as he was there. It was a piece of music that was written by Gregorio Allegre, and Mozart wanted a copy of that music because he loved it so much. He was told that there had been a royal decree that that music could not be copied or played anywhere outside of the Sistine Chapel. So he went back to that chapel one more time and sat there and listened to the entirety of that music and then went home, and because of his phonographic memory, he wrote that music note for note, entirely from memory. Now, I have no idea if he was an athlete or not, but Mozart was music smart. A hundred years before the invention of calculators, Johann Dace calculated pi correctly to 200 places in less than two months. He could multiply two eight-digit numbers in less than 45 seconds and two 100-digit numbers in less than nine hours. 
He could stop calculating at night, look at the board of what he had done, go to sleep, and in the morning remember exactly where he was and pick it up from there. In fact, he was so good with numbers that he could look over a flock of sheep and blink his eyes and suddenly the picture would be locked in his mind and he could number them to the sheep of how many were in that flock. It's safe to say he was numbers smart. As a child, we are now in the middle of the Olympics, and as a child, Bart Connor, who is our most decorated gymnast in the history of the United States, discovered that as a little boy, he could walk on his hands as well as he could walk on his feet. I don't know if he was picture smart. I don't know if he was nature smart, but he was definitely body smart. And I say all of that for this reason. We are each smart in different ways. We have differing gifts. Some of you are going, I don't fit any of those categories. I was looking at those going, Lord, where, where, where do I fit? I talk well if I have notes. But what I discovered is this. The Lord has created each of us uniquely and individually, and He knows how to speak to each of us in a language that we can understand. He is big enough to speak and be heard by anyone and anyone everywhere. So what does that have to do with hearing the voice of God? First, we need to understand that we all hear him a little bit differently. How many of you have had people come up to you and say, listen, I have heard from the Lord and the way that they are describing they heard is not a language that you were accustomed to. It's a different way. So we understand that God speaks to us in different ways. In fact, we don't even have to go very far into the New Testament to discover that Jesus spoke to his own disciples and addressed them in different ways. He did not talk to John the same way that he talked to Peter. Peter was a hardhead. He needed to be reminded of things differently. John was a soft-hearted man. And so we recognize, even in the reading of the Scripture, we recognize that Jesus spoke to people differently. Now, for those of you who are parents of more than one child... You quickly come to understand that just because children come from the exact same gene pool does not mean that they are the same. It doesn't mean that they listen the same. It doesn't mean that you can treat them the same. It doesn't mean that they learn the same. In fact, for some of you, you have recognized that you have children that all it takes is a look. You get the look and instantly they shrivel because they do not want to disappoint you. Then there are others <laughs> that have not learned the language of the look or they just don't care. You are laughing knowingly because I know where you fall into that category. It required a little bit more conviction, conversation, motivation in order for you to have the same results as your other sibling. Before I get into the secondary languages of God, there is one aspect of this that is unbelievably vital. It's a component that we cannot understate, and that is this. We who are believers in Jesus Christ desperately need the gift of discernment. Desperately need it. In fact, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So when we are talking about hearing the voice of God, it comes from an understanding that if we're not in a relationship with him, we can't hear him because these things are spiritually discerned. 
It takes the discernment of the Holy Spirit to know the difference between an open door and a closed door. It takes discernment to recognize God-given dreams. It takes discernment to know which desires are from God and which have I created on my own. It takes discernment to obey the promptings of God. It takes discernment to put our pain into perspective. It takes discernment to be able to read people. The English word for discern comes from the Greek word epignosis, which means knowledge gained by firsthand contact. In other words, discernment is a gift that through experience you begin to hone. It's not book smarts. It's street smarts. It's a fine-tuned language of God that gets better the more mature and the more experience you have walking with Christ. So as we get ready to dive into how God speaks to us through open and closed doors, there are three things that I want to share with you scripturally that will be the boundaries for this. Number one is found in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So here's what we know. God will speak to us because he's prepared things for us to do in advance. Secondly, Psalm 27, 23, out of the New King James Version says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. So secondly, God will speak to us because he has ordered our steps. Thirdly, Romans 8, 28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purposes. So God is at work for our good and his purpose. So if you will remember those three things, we are now ready to dive into the language that God speaks through doors. One of the dialects that the Spirit of God speaks to us as is in placing us in positions where we have the choice of going through an open door or recognizing that something is a closed door. And in a sense, in a sense, this is God's sign language. Now, I recognize that every Sunday we have an interpreter here ministering to those who are deaf. And on our screen, if you've ever watched our services live online, there's a a box there where they are ministering to those that are not even here. It's a sign language that they understand that we are speaking. I believe that God has a sign language as well. In fact, ignoring God's sign language would be difficult and dangerous. Can you imagine if Noah had ignored God's weather forecast? He and his family would have died in the flood, and human history as we know it would have ended. What if Joseph had disregarded Pharaoh's dreams? Two nations would have been destroyed by famine. What if Moses had walked by the burning bush and seeing it just looks at him and going, nope, 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 and turned around and walked the other way? The exodus of Israel would have never happened, and the promised land would not have been possessed. What if the wise men had dismissed what the star was saying, they would never have discovered the Messiah. And what if Saul had mistaken his vision on the road to Damascus as a concussion symptom from falling off of a horse and not heard what God had wanted to say to him? He would never have become Paul, and half the New Testament would not have been written. I know, listen closely, I know that signs are subject to interpretation, and there is a fine line between reading them and reading into them. Let me repeat that. 
There is a fine line between reading the signs and reading into them. We do not make decisions based on horoscopes, tarot cards, or palm readings, all of which are forms of divination and false signs. But we must learn to read the signs of the Holy Spirit when He speaks to us through the Scripture with the Holy Spirit's help. God speaks through circumstances. He speaks through Scripture, and Scripture supports what He's saying. The language of doors that God speaks to us comes to us as a result of the gift of discernment. Discernment is the ability to appraise a situation with supernatural insight. It is a prophetic perception that understands that God is up to something and He wants to show us what it is. So let me remind you of this important point. We don't interpret Scripture through signs. We interpret signs through Scripture. Scripture is always the final say. And God will use His Word to confirm the signs that He will send. I mentioned last week when we were talking about the language of desires, that that is a language that the Lord has spoken to me most of my life. In fact, it was what led Cindy and I into the ministry. After God, however, had changed my desires from what I was studying in college, I went back to school and I took a step of faith and I changed my major after conferring with some wise counselors. And then I said, Lord, I know that I'm taking this step of faith, but I need you to confirm that to me. Have any of you ever asked God to confirm something that you felt that he was leading you into? I knew that faith was taking the first step before God would reveal the second one. And I asked in prayer, Lord, if this is really your direction, would you please help me to graduate without a school bill so that I don't ever have to say no to anything that you want me to do because of debt? Now, I have to tell you, I had worked very, very hard through high school to save money for college. In fact, between my senior year in high school and my freshman year of college, I got a job in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, working at an oil refinery, and I was with a college group of guys, and we were the ones that were painting the, the towers that had the flames coming out of the top. Because of the danger involved, it naturally college guys loved that, but we got paid very, very well. In fact, in three months, I made enough to pay for two years of college. So it wasn't like I was throwing all of this on God. In fact, during school, I was doing work study. I worked uh, in the financial aid office my first year, and I worked security. I was the shortest security guy you have ever seen <laughs> at Evangel University. But man, you give me a little mace on my hip, and I you just, you, you, better, be, you better behave. It was in November of my last year, just before I was starting my last semester, that I knew no matter how much work I had done, I was going to be a little short. Cindy and I were engaged at the time when we drove to Louisiana where my dad's family was because we knew they would feed us all at Thanksgiving. And on the way home from that trip back to school, now how many of you remember CBs? Now I know I'm aging myself, but some of you used to have those in your cars. There's enough hands around here to know that I am among my generation. It had a squelch thing to it, you know, and, and, and the CB was for the purpose of being able to break the law without getting caught. Now, I know that doesn't sound holy, but honestly, that's what it was all about. And my wife, my fiance at that point, was getting bothered by the squelch, and she goes, can you just turn that off for just a few minutes? 
I did, and I promptly, within five minutes, got a speeding ticket. And the officer was a very large man, and when he found out I was a college student from Missouri, uh, asked me if I would just follow him into town so I could pay that fine right away. That $75 that I had to pay for my speeding ticket, I knew was going to cut in even further into the amount that I needed. And I really wrestled with that. I'm saying, now, Lord, if I, if I end up at the end of this semester and I'm short, is it really your fault? Because I, I did not act wisely. And I knew that I was going to be shorter than the $75 I had. In fact, I was going to end up being about $300 short no matter what I did. And so I really just had a conversation with God saying, Lord, I know that I've laid all these things out here. I'm not sure what I should do about this. And then in the beginning of April of my last semester, I am a month away from graduating from college, two months away from getting married. In my home church of Central Assembly, my pastor, Pastor Philip Wanamaker, saw me and called me out of a congregation of over a thousand, asked me if I'd come to the platform. He said, our board voted back in December that you would be the recipient of the ministerial scholarship this year, and I haven't seen you, and it completely slipped my mind until I saw you this morning. That scholarship covered my school bill and gave me my $75 back <laughs> at the end of that despair. You see, God knew in the language that He was speaking to me how to confirm through signs what He was leading me to do. He knew that I'm a person that has self-doubt, that I second-guess, and that's why He was gracious enough for me and maybe for you too to give us confirmations when He is speaking to you and leading you. And so when it comes to the idea of what is an open door, how do I know whether this is something God wants me to go into? Lord, is it wrong for me to ask you for a sign? With discernment, I do believe that God can confirm those things to you. And so when it comes to discerning the will of God, don't we all wish it was as easy as they talk about in the New Testament about just casting lots the way they replaced Judas and the, the lots fell to so-and-so and they stepped up? We wish it was that easy. But you know what? It would take intimacy out of the relationship. If all we had to do was just throw lots to find out, and God wants us to have intimacy with Him. And so in intimacy, since that is His end goal, however He speaks to you is going to make that area of intimacy grow with you. So how do we discern what is an open door? Mark Batterson in his book talks about five different tests that we should employ in discerning the voice of God. The first one, and I love the title of this one, the first one is the goosebump test. Most of you have experienced moments in your life where God is so real to you. Maybe it's during a time of worship. Maybe you're reading the Word. Maybe you're hearing somebody speak where He is so close to you that the hair on your arms begins to stand up or the hair on your neck begins to stand up. That's a goosebump test. I believe that when God is talking to you about the, the will that He has for you, that your heart should skip a beat, that you would have this feeling and you pass it through the filter of Scripture, but there is a quickening of the Holy Spirit that brings to us an excitement about what God wants to do and how He wants to use us. Now, I am not suggesting to you that this should be the only confirmation because there are a lot of things that would give us goosebumps that have nothing whatsoever to do with the will of God. And there are also things that God will call us to do that don't necessarily excite us but have to be done just through the course of ministry and falling out on your calling. But the will of God, listen, the will of God is not drudgery. Remember, 
If you are delighting yourself in the Lord, then God will give you the desires of your heart. So one of the tests is this of you, Lord, may be a goosebump test. The second is the peace test. The Apostle Paul said, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Now, that doesn't mean that when God begins to open a door for you or lead you to an open door, that you will not feel stressed, that you will not feel scared. It means that in your heart of hearts, deep in your soul, there will be a peace spoken by the Holy Spirit that will overcome your fear and help you to overcome the things that would keep you from doing it. It is the peace that God gives us as a holy confidence that He is leading us. The third test that is mentioned is the wise counsel test. We don't discern the will of God all by ourselves. So here's what you need to do. Surround yourself with people who have been there and done that. Listen, Scripture often talks about putting people in positions before they're ready. In other words, there is a value to maturity. One of the things that I love about Grace Assembly is that I look across this room and we are multi-generational. There should be no reason why a student who is hearing from God, wondering if this is the will of God, can't find somebody who has been there before and done that before and say, can I just run through you what God may be speaking to me so that the wisdom of years and the wisdom of discernment might be applied to somebody who is just learning that language. Surround yourself with people who have been there and done that. Surround yourself with people who will bring out the best in you. Church, listen. Be very careful who you let in your inner circle. There may be a lot of people that you can hold as acquaintances, but you better make sure that those that have influence in your life have the same faith that you do. And be careful who you let because you want people around you as you're determining the will of God that will bring out the best in you. Surround yourself with people who have a heart for God and your best interest in mind. We live in a manipulative society. And there are people that without thinking about it at all will counsel you in a way that will benefit them more than benefit you. And then surround yourself with people who have permission to speak the truth in love to you. It may very well be that some of the things that you think are open doors are not right for you. And you need somebody that you trust, somebody that you know loves you, somebody that you know uh, can hear from God to say to you, I would, I would just hold off for a minute on that and be able to speak with a voice of caution. Simply put, seek wise counsel. The reason is that we have an infinite ability to deceive ourselves. And it's an important check and balance that God brings into our life. After the camp experience that I shared with you last week when God changed my desires, and I knew that God was doing something in my heart, I called my mom and dad to share with them what I was feeling. And I remember standing, we didn't have cell phones back then, so I was standing in the kitchen of the campground with a cord standing outside the door as far as the cord would stretch. Some of you remember those days too. And I called them and I said, I've got to tell you what I think God is doing in my life. I said, I can't explain it. I don't know why, but I feel that all my desires are changing and that God is calling me into the ministry. And my mom said, thank you, Jesus. 
this is the last answer of my prayer before your dad and I can go to Africa. And I said, what in the world do you mean by that? And she said, listen, your father and I knew for a long time that God was going to do this. And I said, then why didn't you tell me? And their response, listen, parents, their response was this. Our your parents was, not, was to confirm the voice of God, not to be the voice of God. Our job as parents was to confirm the voice of God, not to be the voice of God. And so in the wise counsel test, I had peace that people that I knew loved me more than I could love myself was confirming what God was doing. The fourth test of how do we know if God's leading us through an open door is the crazy test. By definition, God-sized dreams will always be beyond your abilities. They will be beyond your logic. They will be beyond your resources. In other words, when God is doing something, it will be bigger than you can do without Him. He simply will not let you do something that you can take the credit for. And if you can do it within your ability, then it's not a God-sized dream. Now, I don't know what God's will is for your life. And you certainly need to do your homework. But faith leads us to places where we are willing to look a little bit foolish. Noah looked a little crazy building a boat. Sarah looked a little crazy wearing maternity clothes at 90. The wise men looked a little crazy following a star. Peter looked a little crazy getting out of the boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And if we aren't willing to look just a little bit crazy, then you probably have never stretched your faith to places where God wants to take you. Because obedience turns God's crazy ideas into crazy awesome if you will just trust Him. And the fifth test is released from and called to test. The will of God is like two pins. There's one side of it that is the called to. The second one is released from. And I know that there are times in life, and I have been there, when you are feeling released from a current responsibility, but you don't yet know what you are being called to, and you feel as if you're caught in that no man's land. And, and if you're not sure what to do next, I would suggest doing what you heard him tell you to do last until he opens a new door. In our text in Revelation that we read at the very beginning in chapter 3, verse 7, Scripture refers to something as the key of David. I, I've underlined that in that verse. Out of all of Revelation, I thought that was so fascinating. And what it means is that David, when he was the king, had a man in his castle by the name of Lachim, uh, Eliakim, who was basically his chief of staff. And he was the chief of security for the entire palace. Anybody that wanted to get near the king had to have an appointment through Eliakim. He controlled access to everything in the palace, and he controlled access to the king and his family himself. It was a position of enormous power, and the king had to have complete trust in this man. In fact, Eliakim wore around his shoulder a symbol of a key that demonstrated his authority. Everybody that saw him seeing that around knew that he was the one that opened doors and he was the one that closed doors. He was the one that unlocked doors and he was the one that locked them. And whatever he decided was the end of it all. And we look at this today, and in our text it tells us to the extent that Eliakim is a type of Christ 
who now holds the keys of David as it relates to our life. Jesus Christ is the one who has full authority within our lives to open doors and lock doors, to open them for us and allow us to get through them or to close them so that we cannot get through them. He will open doors that may be impossible in our thinking to have them opened. But it's one of the ways that God speaks to us. And just as God opens doors, it is just as much the will of God for him to close doors from time to time. I think that closed doors are probably more difficult for us to understand because we are pursuing something with the best intentions in mind. And so when we get to a place that we think and we hope is an open door and that door is locked to us, we sit back sometimes going, where did I miss it? Where did I miss your voice in all of this? But listen, closed doors are part of the language of God's expression of what I call prevenient grace. Now, prevenient grace is a Hebrew term that says that God goes before us and opens doors that need to be opened and closes things that need to be closed because he's protecting us. So in his prevenient grace, he goes before us, and there are times when he has to close off a pathway because he knows that in our natural desires, we're going to want to go there. But he knows that that is not what we need. And so sometimes closed doors are checks in our spirit that keep us from walking through a door in the first place. Either way, God sometimes shows us by opening the door and sometimes he shows us by getting in the way and not letting us go there. On his second missionary journey, the Apostle Paul had every intention of going to Bithynia, a Roman province in Asia, but God closed the door. In fact, it tells us in Acts 16, verses 6 and 7. <coughs> Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. That's interesting that the Holy Spirit would keep somebody from preaching, but that's exactly what he did. And when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. God closed the door to Bithynia, even though it was Paul's desire to go there. And so we have competing languages here. The language of desire, Paul saying, I want to go there. And the Lord saying, I know by my provenient grace what is going to be best for you. And so I'm going to close the door that your desire would naturally lead you to. And in the language of closed doors, it sometimes makes us feel uneasy. It sometimes makes us feel like, where did I miss something? But listen, there are ways in which we can understand a closed door because God will give you a check in your spirit. Now, what I mean by that is this. If you have had a relationship with the Lord and you have grown in any way, you recognize that God can put a feeling in your spirit that you cannot put into words. In fact, somebody could be saying something to you, and it sounds really good, but there is this little gnawing thing that takes place in your soul thinking, this is not what it seems. We need to learn in the discernment of the Lord to listen to the still, small voice of the Spirit that puts a check there for us. Because in the last days of time, there will be many that will be deceived because they never learned to hear the voice of discernment in the middle of looking for open doors. So sometimes it's a feeling of uneasiness. 
Sometimes it's a spiritual sense that something isn't right. A check in your spirit is God's red light that if you don't obey it, you could find yourself in trouble. Listen, in the language of God opening and closing doors, he closes doors, number one, to protect us. He closes doors to redirect us. And he will close doors to keep you from following into something that is less than his best for you. Bithynia had been Paul's plan A. So Macedonia probably felt like a huge disappointment to him, a plan B. But it led him, because of his obedience to not beat down a closed door, it led him to a divine appointment with Lydia, who became the first European convert to Christianity. What we perceive as closed doors, what we perceive as detours or delays are often God's way of bringing us to places of divine appointments. So let me ask you the question as the worship team please come. When you read the Bible, do you read it like it's a history book or do you read it like it's alive and active? Do you read it as if God has finished what he has done? And you read Revelation as the end and you think God is no longer at move, moving. Or do you believe that God wants to do it again and again and again and again within your life and within our church and within this world? I have often been convicted by the Holy Spirit in my own life for reading the Bible with low expectations. But then I am reminded of this. The Holy Spirit is the same yesterday. He is the same today. And He is the same forever. In fact, it tells us in John chapter 14, verse 12, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do greater things than these because I'm gone to the Father. Do we need to hear the voice of God less? Do we need fewer miracles? Do we need fewer gifts? Do we need fewer open and closed doors? Do we need fewer signs? I think the answer to every one of those questions is no. So God, today, as you're speaking to us, would you begin to sanctify our expectations one more time? Would you begin to speak to us in ways that we understand in the different intelligences that we have so that the body of Christ might be built up and that the world could hear a last time of Jesus Christ and His Savior as Savior? One of two things is going to happen to you over time. Either your theology will conform to your reality and your expectations will get smaller and smaller until you can hardly believe God for anything. Or your reality will conform to your theology. And your expectations will get bigger and bigger until you can believe God for absolutely everything.